Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance With the stars up above in your eyes A fantabulous night to make romance Need the cover of October skies You know the leaves on the trees are falling To the sound of the... The famous voice of Van Morrison with Moondance, of course. Good morning, it's me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM's Jazz Shapers, the place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a business shaper. My beer moth of a business shaper today is none other than Mr David Richards, across from the other side of the world, especially here for us. He is the founder of One Disco. They are a big data company. And boy, are they getting bigger by the minute. You'll be hearing lots from him very shortly. In addition to hearing from David, you'll be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea. Some words of advice for your business. And on top of all of that, if you can take it today, some great music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul, including Robert Glasper, Bill Withers, and this, it's new, from Marcus Hill. That was I Remember Summer from Marcus Hill. David Richards is my business shaper today, as I said, here on Jazz Shapers. And he is the founder of One Disco. And they are, as they say themselves, a big data company. David, thank you so much for joining me. You're on a busy, packed schedule and you've made time for us. Help me and everyone listening understand what One Disco is about. What does it do? Because everyone talks about big data now and everyone also then kind of goes, yeah, yeah, I kind of know what you mean. But help me understand in more detail. So, yeah, big data. Hi, Elliot, and it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Big data is one of the big themes in tech today. It's the most disruptive bit of technology, I believe, in the world. It can do everything from keep people alive um, in hospitals to tell retailers exactly what a customer is going to do next. And when Disco ensures that that technology is completely reliable and resilient for major enterprise use. So you, um, just to give me a flavour as well, the kinds of companies that you help include... A lot of global 1,000 companies, um, major banks. We have, in the past 60 days, um, I believe that we've signed three of the world's top 10 banks. Now, that's highly unusual for them to standardize on uh, you know, very early stage technology so quickly. Uh, British Gas is, is, a, is a pretty big customer of ours. Um, we also have the uh, University of California, Irvine, um, which is a big hospital in the United States. They're using our technology to predict cardiac arrest in heart pacemaker patients three days before it happens. Incredible stuff. Wow. I think I'm going to need one of those pretty soon. I'm not careful. <laughs> now, um, let's go back in time a little bit. You are a Sheffield man, but you live across the pond, as we said, you're on the other side now. You're in Silicon Valley. I believe that you chose n- to not go to university, but to go straight into the world of work. Barclays, is that right? No, I, uh, well, actually, yes, it is. I really didn't want to go to university at all. I did my A-levels and wanted to go and earn some money and thought I would be able to build a career uh, in banking. Um, that was about the biggest mistake of my life, actually. <laughs> as much as I respect bankers, of course. Um, and then you went back to university. And then I turned up, knocked on the door of my old uh, sixth form saw the head of the sixth form, a great teacher called David Jackson, and said, what the hell am I going to do? I can't stand banking. And he looked at me and said, 
go and do computer science. And how, why did he say that? Because obviously you love technology. We'll come on to that. What, what was his instinct? Was it just because he knew you? Um, he, or was he, it more than that? He was, a, he was a great teacher and he showed me an article that suggested that um, the geeks were going to rule the world. And that um, I think there's a, there's a famous quote from Bill Gates that says, uh, be really nice to geeks because one day you might be working for one. Um, and David knew um, that, I had an, that I obviously had an aptitude for this and that this was going to be the direction the economy was going in. And he was a super smart guy and a great teacher and a great influence on my life, actually. Stay with me to hear how the story developed and there's lots to it and you're going to learn and be inspired along the way, I'm sure. Time for some music in the meantime. This is from Robert Glasper. I love him. I may have said it before. Apologies for any embarrassment to him. And this is I Stand Alone. Sometimes we feel alone, but alone ain't always wrong. Robert Glasper, you know why I love him. You can hear it there. It's I Stand Alone. David Richards is my business shaper today, founder of One Disco. They're a big data company. The One, by the way, if you want to know, stands for Wide Area Network, which we're going to talk about as well in a bit, I guess. Now, we were talking, David, about this fantastic teacher, the, 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 the geeks are going to rule the world, quote, which you said from Bill Gates. You actually went into a startup IT company called Druid, I believe, and reportedly, if this is true, and you can tell me it's not, um, you decided not to take a car, but to take options in this company, which luckily for you did really, really well and kind of made you a ton of money. Is that right? Uh, Druid was um, at the cusp of transformation in the technology industry. It was at the time when we, when companies were throwing away mainframe computers and installing uh, three-tier client server. So at that time... On the desktop, we got Intel for chips, we got Microsoft for software, we got middleware companies like SAP, and the database was born, and companies like Oracle, of course, now very famous, were born there as well. And we were part of that revolution. Um, And I'm going to tell you later that big data revolution is now replacing those systems. And it was a wonderful time, actually. We were... I was in the boardroom at companies like Polaroid and Cadbury's as we were changing out their IT systems. It was, it was, it was phenomenal, of course. The company IPO'd and the London Stock Exchange uh, very quickly and made a lot of people a lot of money. But that wasn't the point, actually. We had great fun. It was a great company to work for. Now then, um, the, the next most, and I guess the most important moment, is that you decided to move abroad. 1998, you went to the States. And since then, you've set up two businesses, which have, I think both, both have been sold successfully, one more so than the other, I believe. And now you're on your third. So you're sort of a serial entrepreneur. But the thing I'm interested in is, what made you go there? Was it just that's where the action was happening in terms of technology? That's a great question. I remember um, I, was, I was living in London at the time, and I, I picked up a newspaper, and it was talking about all the, the new IPOs, and it was companies like Yahoo, and their stock was just going through the roof. And something was happening in Silicon Valley. And Silicon Valley is a unique place. You can't, you can't do stuff. There's, it's a melting pot for all kinds of different people, like my co-founder, Dr. Alad, uh, among others. The just phenomenal talent, phenomenal business people, lots and lots of VC. So it was a magnet, and I was drawn to the United States. Though, funnily enough, I didn't go to Silicon Valley first. I went to New York. Um, and at the time, it was, a, it was a bizarre part of my life, actually, because I never thought I was going to be the marrying type, I have to say, and um, met this girl in, in Bath, uh, Jane, my wife, and um, probably fell in love with her um, immediately. 
And at the time, I was planning to I was planning to leave, and I said, "Look, I'm going to go to this. I'm going to go over to the states. Do you want to come?" And this is, you know, within sort of three to six months of meeting her. So two suitcases packed, jumped on a plane, landed in New York, and I suppose the rest is history, as they say. Stay with me to hear much more from my business shaper, David Richards. Latest travel in a couple of minutes, and before that, some words of wisdom from our program partners at Mishkondorea for your business. My name's Adam Morley. I'm a partner in the intellectual property department at Mishcons. One of the questions I'm asked most often is, I've got this great idea, how do I protect it? The intellectual property law in the UK is such that it only really protects specific expressions of ideas as opposed to the ideas themselves. So you have things like trademarks and patents which protect an invention and the invention has to be new and innovative and really, really, really quite out there. And so a lot of great ideas that people have, like, you know, I've got a new form of Sudoku or, or something like that, they're very, very difficult to protect. And so people want to pitch them to people and they really don't know what to do. And in those circumstances, the best advice I can give and the, the advice I always give is that you should get people to sign a non-disclosure agreement or an NDA. Obviously, any entrepreneur's first worry is they're going to pitch the idea to someone and they're going to nick it from them now if you can't achieve that if you're if you've got a if you've got a pitch you're taking it to tesco's and tesco's don't want to sign your nda the second best way to deal with it is to make everybody realize that what you're saying to them is confidential so put that on your pitch put on your pitch that it's confidential when you go to a meeting tell people before you start that it's confidential when you write them an email after the meeting, tell people that it's confidential. All those things help to imply confidential circumstances, which means in the unfortunate event that someone does take your idea off you afterwards, then you can say that was a breach of confidence and obtain a remedy that way. So that's, that's my tip for anyone with an idea uh, who's pitching it and who's worried about having it stolen. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business... But it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Catch me every Saturday morning, 9am sharp, where you can hear me talking to a brilliant person from the world of business, a business shaper. If you've missed any, then iTunes is your destination. You'll find over 100 fantastic guests in there. If you're travelling on British Airways soon, you can listen in on High Life as well. I've given you lots of options, no excuses. David Richards is my business shaper today, and he's the founder of One Disco. They're a big data company, and very impressive too. David, we left with the story perfectly poised. You had gone to America. You had taken your new girlfriend, who has now been your wife for, what, 17 years or so, 15 years or so. And you've since then, before One Disco, delivered two companies to the market, and you've learned a bunch of stuff along the way. One of the things I, I think you, you've talked about publicly is the fact that when it's your money, you think about harder and, and think about how you spend it much harder than if it's someone else's. Just give me a quick insight into the venture capital world from your perspective. Yeah, so we raised uh, my first company in the US. It was very in vogue to raise venture capital, and we went out and raised uh, quite a lot of money, $25 million, really on the back of a PowerPoint presentation, which in, in those days, the heady days of the internet boom back in 2000, 98, 2000, you could do that. So we raised, um, we raised a load of money, and I think the company was lazy. I think we had lots of great ideas, but the execution to execute those ideas just wasn't there. Um, 
if I contrast that with businesses, which I did subsequently, where I deliberately didn't raise venture capital, you develop products that are very close to product adoption lifecycle, which means that you're developing products that customers actually need and want to buy. And I think that's a great discipline in every business. Now, you went on and, and, and successfully sold the next business. That first one was called Insevo. Yeah. And the next one was called Lib- Librados. Librados, which actually means the freed man in Spanish. Yes. So we were freed from venture You were capital, freed. Well done. That's nice. Now, what then made you set up the, the, biz- the business which is now paying the bills and doing a lot more besides? And, and how did you meet your, your uh, as you've described before, the genius, uh, Dr. Yaturo Alad? So in order to try and plug that gap, uh, venture capital, um, with uh, very early stage businesses, and by early stage I mean technology guys, primarily software guys with brilliant ideas, myself and my team, my co-founders of the prior companies decided that we were going to set up a very small private equity fund where we would invest our own money and provide operational expertise to these companies. And um, the first guy that walked through the door was this tall, skinny, six foot four Indian in a pair of uh, hot pants and sandals, a complete geek. Um, And I thought, God, what the hell's going on here? Who's this? And he sat down and he had solved one of the most complex problems in the world of computer science. It's called active-active replication over a wide area network. It's very complicated, I won't go into that. But he had produced 20 pages of hurried little mathematical proof of the solution. Now, normally what you see in Silicon Valley, in fact, all, most software companies, is two guys in a coffee pot who sit down, hack together some source code, trial and error, try to build a prototype, a prototype product, go and show it to a venture capitalist or an angel investor, get a bit of money, build a website, start selling it into the marketplace, and hey, presto, that becomes a company. This was totally different. It was fundamental mathematical proof highly patentable, very difficult, very difficult, difficult problem to solve. And the guy had been and shown it to venture capitalists, of course, who looked at it and said, scratched their head and said, I don't even understand what the hell this is because they're not computer scientists, they're business people. But we saw absolute gold. The, um, the private equity fund, of course, we scrapped it immediately and said, we're just going to create a company around this. And find out what that company looked like um, in a moment. Time for some music. This is Grandma's Hands from the fantastic Mr. Bill with us. Mm-hmm. Grandma's hands clapped in church on Sunday morning. Grandma's hands played a tambourine so well. Grandma's hands. I give you Mr. Bill Withers and Grandma's hands. David Richards, my business shaper, and we've been talking about all sorts of stuff, and we've reached the moment where the genius has arrived, the, the, the code has been looked at, the maths has been worked out, and you create your business. Um, you know when you have those moments, when you, you looked at this guy who was the, the geek in the hot pants, and you go, hold on a minute. What does that feel like, David? Because you don't get that very often in, in life, let alone business life. What did it feel like, and what did you do to harness that feeling? Or, or are you more of a logical kind of fellow? Was it not like that? Um, I couldn't believe um, what I was what I was looking at. I was looking at one of the top two or three people in the world of distributed computing, a PhD from IIT um, that was previous to that, the distributed systems architect at some microsystems, at IBM Labs. He wrote a distributed programming language, a complete genius that couldn't convince anybody to start a business with him. And the minute I saw him, I knew immediately that we could create a billion-dollar company. And that sounds bizarre, and of course, in hindsight, everybody would say it's 2020, but actually I knew at that moment 
um, that we were going to create uh, a company and do some amazing things. And when you say you knew, again, it's a question I, I sometimes ask. Is that something that the that anyone can get, or is it something that only a small group of people in business that are really instinctive can have as a as a skill? Because obviously you've got it. It's it's very difficult to repeat um, success in the same way, and often people try to do that. They try to go back to what they were doing before and try to repeat success. I I, I believe that you have to go on and do something completely different. So. When Disco compared to Librados, compared to Incivo, compared to Druid, were, were all entirely different companies. The difference with Juan Disco to the rest was the foundation was very solid granite intellectual property. The intellectual capital in this business was tremendous. And I, that's a once in a lifetime experience. I, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to see intellectual property as fundamental and as valuable as this ever again. Now, you saw it then, but there's a lot more to it because that's 10 years ago now. You floated, you've bought companies, you've created a, a, a new place for yourself in the market. I believe, I'm sure you're on the way towards your billion-dollar turnover, and I'm sure you'll tell me when you're going to do that, and you'll probably be right. How do you ensure that, that you are you know, doing the right thing every day? You're running a big company now. Do you ever sit back and go... I don't know what I'm going to do next. And if you did, would you admit that to me? You probably wouldn't anyway, would you? <laughs> <laughs> do you know, I've never, I've never had that thought. Um, our business, I surround myself with total geniuses. So if you were to walk into our office in, in, in San Ramon, California, you would see a whole bunch of people with PhDs, people that uh, were the founding fathers of big data while they worked at Yahoo. They you know, architected the Yahoo search engine, the e architected eBay, and the quality of those people is such that we can develop groundbreaking technology and software companies that are developing intellectual capital have to have tremendous people that work for them. And I'm so proud of the, of the people that we've managed to uh, organically grow with hire, buy um, over, over the past few years. It's, that really is the makeup of this business. We'll have a final chat with David, plus play a track from The Elder Statesman. That's after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. The slightly hypnotic elder statesman of Montreux Sunrise. David Rich is my business shaper just for a few more minutes. He is the founder of One Disco, as you've been listening to, I hope, and, and know. Isn't his first company, isn't his second company, it's his third one, but I think this one is definitely a keeper. You're 10 years in now. Um, you've been talking about the incredibly clever people around you. And what struck me, David, as you were talking about the difference between what you've created and what many other startups have created is the substance, is the intellect, is the IP, as you said, within your business. It's no surprise that you are going very, very well 10 years on. I mentioned You mentioned the billion-dollar thing, and I mentioned it too. When are you going to make that? What do you reckon? 
I would hope in the next uh, in the next couple of years um, that we will get a billion dollar market cap. We're certainly in a in a marketplace that would support that kind of valuation, and I don't want this to be a sort of party political broadcast for my shareholders. But um, oh, go on, go on. You don't, right, I don't mind. All right, you've, you've twisted my arm. Look, I I I think we've got the capacity to become a billion dollar company, a unicorn as they call them, in the next couple of years, certainly. And. Along the way, I mean, we've talked about your fantastic success and it will continue, I'm sure. Have there been very important people that have provided direction or provided insight where, you know, you've gone, I really remember that, I, I've re- used that and reused it? Or has it not been like that? Have you been more of your own generator of ideas and advice and things? I think there have been so many um, people that have influenced this this journey and it's everybody from my wife and the strong home base that I have. It's um, uh, obviously the rest of my family. And then also people within the business itself. Um, when we did the IPO, we we, we brought on board um, a very good board of directors, uh, a guy called Paul Walker, um, that was the founder and CEO of Sage, um, was is a wonderful guy and a, and a guiding light. He's now the chairman of, of Wandisco. Uh, my CFO, Paul Harrison, who, who we were in lockstep with each other. He um, he's a wonderful CFO. He was the CFO of Sage uh, with with Paul actually prior to, prior to uh, prior to Disco. And of course, Sage is a is a multi billion dollar company, as most people will, will know. So a number of people um, have helped and guided and provided solid advice along the way. And, and as you're going to you and some advice from you, you're an excellent advert for British business and British entrepreneurialism. You're sitting over in, in the States, but your business is global. What advice would you give for the next budding David um, Richards? What would it be? What would you say to them? I would say um, I'm all in. If I'm going to do something, I'm all in. And I see too many people that when they want to start a business, they keep doing their job, they're fearful of what might happen, they're fearful of not having a holiday or being able to pay the school fees. If you're going to do something, you have to be all in. Human beings are amazingly adaptable creatures. We can adapt to almost any situation. Go all in. If you're going to do it, put everything on the table, put your neck on the line and really go for it. And that's why he's going to have a billion-dollar business pretty soon. David, that's brilliant. Just before I let you go, and thank you so much, as I said, for squeezing us in. What's your song choice and why have you chosen it? It's Ray Charles, Georgia on my mind. And um, I remember when we, we moved prior to Silicon Valley, we lived in Atlanta. And my my wife uh, uh, conceived our first child, Harry. Um, and Poppy's my other daughter. I better give her a mention. I was going to say, you'd be in trouble if you didn't. I absolutely would be. Um, and... Um, I remember that was the first song um, I heard when my uh, when when I learned that my wife was pregnant, and it's always been a mum. We were in Georgia, and it was Ray Charles singing "Georgia in My Mind," a wonderful song. Fantastic. Well, here it is for you, and again, thank you very much for being my business shaper. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through. Just an old sweet song. That was Georgia on my mind from Ray Charles, the song choice of my business shaper today, David Richards, a totally decisive person, someone who really, once he made his mind up, he was going to go and do it. A person that believes in substance, the man who spotted the genius in his partner at One Disco and has gone for it ever since. And someone for anyone who wants to set their own business up, someone who said, be all in, do it completely or don't do it at all. All 
brilliant advice. Do join me again, same time, same place. That's 9am next Saturday for another edition of Jazz Shapers here on Jazz FM. In the meantime, stay with us. Coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.